I'm Al Hope. Welcome back to our Work Matters series. The average worker in the course of their career might spend over 80,000 hours at their job. So far, we've talked to a couple people who are a few hours into that career and into that path. This morning, we want to talk with someone who's at really the starting end or the starting block of that to talk about how faith and work starts making a difference or you start thinking about at the beginning of your career. So, Fakemi Follier, welcome. Thanks. Um, Fakemi, you went into the field of science. You went through Mount Hope. You went through your high school and college, and then you pursued and chose to go for a career in pharma. So, you're, you're starting out, uh, and you're thinking about how does faith intersect with your work? Do you think they intersect or interact at all? Or where is your thinking when it comes to your faith in God, your following of Christ in your work? I think work has definitely impacted my faith in ways that I wasn't expecting. I think the way that like stress has come about and learning how to manage that properly and really taking things to God moment to moment, the pressures of feeling like I had to get everything right, it was very overwhelming for the first couple of years and still sometimes is. And so I think that like really relying on God to give me peace to be a part of the story that I'm in, whether the, the assay or the experiment is successful or if it fails, really knowing that my identity is in him and not mm. in my ability to perform or like the results that I get, but really feeling that security, I think has definitely made being in the working professional a lot easier, but also in like the like people interactions, like God, I just need a little bit more patience for this person. Would you be here with me in this conversation? Or as I start my day, like, would you help me to like represent you well? And I think that those are things that I never thought about doing in college or high school. It was never something that I felt like the need to do. It was just like, like God is good and I am good. <laughs> and so like, we're all good and we'll like move forward That's from there. Great. So. That's great. So you're, as I said, you're kind of at the beginning of the, or at the you know, you're past the starting line, mm -hmm. but, uh, but you're in that first leg of the race. You're looking down the road at maybe 20, 30, 40 years of work. Who knows where it goes? Are there any, um, I don't know, fears or hesitation what, when you look down that road that you think about in that long work journey that might be ahead of you at this point? Yeah, well, 40 years sounds very long. <laughs> um, it's not that long. Let's, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, like, for me, I never really want work to be my be-all, end-all. I think in today's culture and, like, today's climate, it's very easy for work to be like that. And I think, for me, it's really important to still, like, remain, I don't want to just say, like, human, but, like, more in contact with people and to really take the time and effort into investing in the people that I work with, but also making sure that I have enough left over to invest in the community that I'm placed in. Yeah. It's, um, I think there's a, I don't know if it's a stereotype or a generalization of your generation that work uh, for you needs to be more than a paycheck. It needs to be something where you find meaning and it feels like you're making a difference in the world. Uh, or maybe even changing the world, which is a big, which is a big goal yeah. to change the world. Is that something you feel, or are you like um, just content with, hey, I want to do the job? I mean, where, where's your? Do you feel like that's a fair, or unfair generalization of your generation? 
I think it's hard because I personally don't identify with that mindset, but I can acknowledge that I felt a lot of pressure. Maybe to go to our final question, what do you hope? So you're at the beginning. Mm -hmm. If I was going to move you to the end, what do you want to look back? What do you hope to say? Yeah, I feel good about that error. And I feel like God would say, well done for Kevin mm -hmm. um, in your work. What, what, what would that have looked like at that point looking back? Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know completely right now. I think obviously I'm just starting out, but I think right now, at least I can say that first of all, I want to do good work. I think that's really important. I want to make sure that I'm being honest and having integrity in the work that I'm doing and that I'm doing it well. At the end of the day, I really want to be able to say like, I did good work and I represented God well, and I was a real beacon or light in that mm. place that I work in, whether it's still in pharmacy or somewhere else. Mm. You think it makes a difference being a Christian in the workplace? Well, I hope so. <laughs> I think that's kind of like the short and cheeky answer to it. Thank you for coming and sharing with us yeah. this week. Amen. Thank you for coming for sharing your faith at work. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet, as Pastor Marvin said, my name is Justin. It's great to be with you in worship this morning. How many of you are shocked to believe that this week it will be December? It feels like just yesterday, it was January 1st, and we were making resolutions for this year. And this was the year, 2023, the year that I would finally lose those 15 pounds. And here I am with four full weeks to go to tell you that I only have 20 more to go. I'm almost there. And if you want to know why that's the case, you can come to our home and you can see very clearly why I have this struggle in front of me. We have a treadmill in our house. Now that treadmill was designed by an engineer, someone at work who does great work, who designed it so that the person using it could receive exercise. If you come to our house, our treadmill has clothes hanging on the handlebars. Our treadmill's not even plugged in. There are boxes sitting on the base, so in case of a flood, they won't get wet. Our treadmill is serving a purpose, but it's not serving the purpose it was designed for. And if we look at this big series we've been in around work, more often than not, we find ourselves in situations at work where we're using something called work out of its proper context and not receiving the benefit it was designed for. In fact, we use things out of context all the time. As Christians, we use Bible verses out of context, don't we? Right? Verses like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Definitely a verse about touchdowns and home runs, right? We use verses like, ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. It must be about God granting birthday wishes. He just gives us the stuff we ask for. And the truth is the context of that verse is actually about seeking God with your whole heart. And if you ask for more of God, he will give you more of himself. If you seek more of him, he will give you more of himself. It's about God and his righteousness. And this morning, we're going to look at one part of our lives where we can often do it completely out of context. 
where we can use it for something it was never intended to be used for, where we disconnect God from it, or sometimes overconnect with God on it and assume that God only works when things are going well there, and that is our work. I don't know about you, but there are some questions I've had on my life over the years when I go to work. Questions that I'll probably have this week. Questions like, why am I so stressed at work? Questions like, why am I overwhelmed? Why does nothing ever feel like it's getting accomplished at work? Why is nothing going the way I thought it would? And if all of this is happening, where is God in all of this? Does he care that my career is nowhere where I thought it would be? Does he care when I face the lows of my career, when there's an impending layoff, does he care? Questions that you may have asked very recently in your life. Maybe you've changed careers multiple times and you're asking the question, did I hear God wrong the first two, three, four times? Am I outside of God's plan? Am I not in his will if my job is not going the way that I thought it would go? These are real questions that we all ask. And as Christians, those questions become even more overwhelming because we assume if God is for me, my career should be really good. This morning, we're going to look into the life of one young man and 13 years of his career. It's in one chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 39. We're going to look into the life of Joseph. Joseph, who had multiple jobs, multiple roles, ups and downs, peaks and valleys in his career, and in the end was able to look back and recognize what was God doing through the ups and the downs of his life and his career. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we'll be in Genesis chapter 39. You can grab a Bible from the seat back in front of you. The version I'll be reading will be a little bit different from your seat back Bibles, but the story is exactly the same. Genesis chapter 39, verse 1 and following. I'll read the first six verses, and then I'll read some of the lower verses after that, but we may not have them on the screen. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Let's stop there because that's my life-affirming verse right there. <clears throat> I read that to myself every morning when I look in the mirror. Verse 21, if you come down, verse 20, when you come down a little further, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. 
So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. This morning, we get to take a look at the resume of Joseph. The first 13 years of this young man's life as a worker, his career, pretty fascinating journey that you would not expect necessarily from this young man. He starts out as a shepherd in his father's house, the favored son of his father. That position leads him into going and meeting with his brothers one day who betray him and throw him into the bottom of a pit and eventually sell him off to be a slave to the Ishmaelite people. Those slave traders carry Joseph off into another country. We need to stop and think about this. He's 17 years old. He's been betrayed by his brothers, sold off into slavery. His father, whom he loves, has no idea what's happening to him, and now he's in another country. Can you feel the uncertainty over Joseph's life? Do you notice how uncertain and chaotic his life would be at the age of 17? And Joseph is sold into slavery into the home of a commander named Potiphar. And Potiphar sees that God is with Joseph, something that I hope we'll get to touch on in just a minute. And the more Potiphar sees that God is with Joseph, the more Joseph is elevated in his role to the point where he is appointed the manager of Potiphar's household. And then there's Potiphar's wife. This woman who tries to seduce Joseph and eventually tries to get him to go with her. But what happens is Joseph lives by the calling that he has in a foreign land with no one watching. He lives by the integrity that he believes is integral to his life. And he's falsely accused of an assault he never commits and gets thrown into prison. And his career takes this massive dip. But there in the prison, God blesses him and shows him favor to the point where he's appointed the assistant warden over all the other prisoners and to the point where eventually Joseph would find himself standing next to the Pharaoh himself, interpreting his dream and being appointed the governor of all of Egypt, the second in command of this entire nation. What a resume. That's a LinkedIn profile. You go from slave to the governor of Egypt the second in command to the most powerful man in the world. Now, the truth is, for many of us as believers in Jesus, this is kind of what we expect, that a Christian's career journey should look like this, that I start out my job, and as I follow Christ, this is what happens. Promotions, comfort, convenience, raises, salary bumps, more power, more responsibility, more reason for people to come to me. I am going to be escalated and elevated to the highest level because this is what it looks like to be a Christian at work. Let's take another look at Joseph's career path. It starts out as the favored son, and he dives down to slave. That is not an easy transition. And then he climbs to the household manager and eventually plummets down to a prisoner in an Egyptian prison. And then slowly rises back up to assistant warden and eventually the governor of Egypt. 
what does God think about this? What does God think about your career and my career when it doesn't go like this? And more importantly, how many of you have asked the question at some point in your careers, God, if you are good, then things would be good at work. That there would be a direct connection between the goodness of God and how good things are going at work. I have to admit that I am extremely guilty of this. That when things are going good at work, that must mean God is good with me and that I'm good with God. I have connected my career and my calling in an unhealthy way. Now, career and calling, calling is a term we use a lot in church world and a term we often don't fully understand when it comes to our jobs and what God has called us to. I look at it this way. There's two perspectives or two sides of a spectrum that we can often fall on. For many of us, it's that my career and my calling are disconnected. That what I do on Sunday is my calling. When I pray, that's my calling. But when I go to work Monday through Friday, that's my career. It's a separate part of my life. The two don't mix. The two are not allowed with each other. The two have no relationship with each other. My career and my calling are separate. Then there's the other side of that spectrum. My calling and my career are the same thing. That I am called to be a nurse, I'm called to be a teacher, a driver, a cashier, a doctor, an engineer, a professor. I am called to these things. So which is it? Is our calling and our career completely separate or is our calling and our career the same thing? Now the truth is there are dangers in seeing it either one of those ways. And Joseph's life teaches us this. In fact, Jesus talks about this very issue in the Gospel of John. There is a crowd that followed him after he had fed the 5,000. And the crowd comes to him and they see Jesus. And Jesus comes to them and says, says to them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, because you, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And here comes the calling. They asked him this question, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I want to remind all of us this morning, especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you're wondering, is my calling my job and is my job my calling? I remind you today, your primary call is to someone, it is not to something. You are called to Jesus Christ. Your primary call is to follow him in every aspect of your life. So whether or not your career goes like this or your career goes up and down, your primary calling never changes. Your primary calling is to love God, to serve him, to trust him even in the valleys of your career, to put him first in all things, to know him better and to make him known to others. That's your primary calling and it never changes. I think a lot of us do what I know I do. We go to work and we believe that my secondary calling, the calling to be a teacher, 
the calling to be a police fire, policeman or firefighter, the calling to be a nurse, a doctor, an engineer, a pharmacist. We believe that that calling is the important calling that I go to work to accomplish. And as a result, we have these breaks that happen in the way that we work because we start to assume that that's my primary calling when the truth is in Joseph's life, you may see this up and down, but there's actually a giant arrow plastered over the top of it, which is his primary calling. That I want to know God. I want to trust him. I want to draw closer to him. I want to put him first in my life. If I can be honest, here's what I often do with my career. My career is a barometer of me. I find my identity in my career. And so what I often do is I find myself more secure, more happy, more fulfilled when things are going well at work. And then I use it as a barometer for God also. God, you are good if things are good at work. God, you are only good in those situations. And I start to use it for something that it isn't. That this career of mine is a place for me to take my primary calling and place it over this place of my life and partner with God to fulfill the primary calling in a secondary space. I will never be a good husband unless I understand my primary calling. I'll never know how to be a good father unless I understand my primary calling. Every other calling, the calling to follow Christ is the foundation of every assignment I have in life. And the more I separate the two, the more danger I find in myself because I start to believe that my secondary calling is the primary calling. This morning I remind you the calling to follow Christ is the foundation of every assignment. And if you look at Joseph's life, the roles kept changing over and over again. Shepherd, slave, household manager, prisoner, governor of Egypt. The roles keep changing. And some of you are here this morning and this is what's happening in your life. I thought things were going well. And then I hit a giant valley. Some of you are sitting here right now with the threat of layoff hanging over you. Or maybe this is something you've recently experienced. And you're home more. And some of you, maybe you were raising your children for a long time, and now your children have grown and your role has changed. And you're wondering, God, do you not see me or know me when my roles change? What happened when you recognize the primary calling, you start to realize that the role may change, but the calling does not change. I think some of us need to be reminded this morning that God did not choose me and place me simply as a teacher. He chose me and placed me as his child first. That he loved me enough to die for me. And so if the role changes, maybe my responsibility at work may change. Maybe the things that are going well at work may change. But God does not change. The calling does not change. It stays steadfast in the middle of it all. The truth is, I often don't recognize it at work. Why? Because the secondary calling has become so prominent in my life that I miss the primary calling. I grew up in a home with very strict parents. And they were very strict about a lot of things, but especially bedtime and television. Two things that they were very strict about. Now, I grew up in a time when the New York Knicks were in the playoffs a lot, so we're talking a long time ago. 
And my brothers and I would love to watch the Knicks games at night. That was a very big deal for us. We wanted to see them in the playoffs. But my parents had specific rules about going to bed by 9.30 when the game was just getting into the heart of the fourth quarter and we wanted to watch the end to find out what happened. My son is watching right now, so I'm just going to say this. We would sneak down to watch the end of the game without my parents knowing so we could watch the final minute of the game. And as we're watching the game, sometimes we would hear a noise upstairs. One of my parents is waking up. Now, if my mom wakes up, it wasn't a big deal because she was just going to go right back to bed. But if my dad was awake, this was a problem because we're going to be in big trouble if he's awake and finds us watching the game. But so we would stop and listen. And we would listen for my dad to step on the second step in the house because we could recognize when his foot had hit the second step versus my mom's foot. We knew what it sounded like. It was slightly heavier. It made the creaking noise a little bit louder. And as soon as we heard the step, we would shut off the TV and hide because we knew our father was moving. Now, I want to ask you a question. How did we know that? We'd heard it so many times that we could recognize it. We'd heard it over and over again. But here's the thing when it comes to us and work. We don't recognize God at work in our work because we don't recognize God working. We don't think of him at work in my office. We don't think of him at work when I'm sitting behind a screen. We don't think of him working in our lives when we're going through spreadsheets. We're sitting in meetings, when we're talking to our coworkers, when we're having lunch with them. We don't think of that as a place for God because the primary calling and the secondary calling are separated from each other. This morning I want to ask you this question. Do you have space in your work to notice God at work? Are you able to hear him working in you and through you while you're at work? Because there's something else we learn about Joseph, that as you work, the one who calls you is working in you. Now, I don't want us to miss what's happening in Joseph's life. Do you notice some things that we saw in his resume? He was a shepherd administering his father's flock. Then he goes and becomes a household manager where he's administering an entire household, budgets and operations for that home. Then he goes and he becomes an administrator in the prison where he's administering over prisoners and over the needs that they may have. Until he finally finds himself the governor of Egypt administering again over an entire nation. Do you notice that God wove this thread throughout Joseph's life because he's developing something in Joseph? Now, you may look at this and say, wait a second, did something just change? What if we've been looking at the chart all wrong all along? What if what we thought were the peaks were actually the valleys and the valleys were the peaks? Because here's what we do. We assume that God only works when things are going good. But Joseph's life teaches us a very different example. That God did some of his best work in Joseph in what we would call the valleys of his life. In the worst situations, God was doing his best work. And some of you find yourself right now, this week, in a valley at work. That you are in a place of darkness, a place of lostness, a limbo you didn't expect to find yourself in. You're in a situation with a boss or with coworkers that you're simply saying, I don't think God has anything to do with this. 
until you remind yourself this morning that the same God of Joseph is the God who's doing something not only at your workplace, but he's doing something in you. He's developing something in you, helping you identify him more and more in your life so that you see him at work in you. It's not by chance that God uh, anoints David, the next king of Israel, and then sends him off into the wilderness to learn how to use the sling and learn how to play the harp and learn how to write music in obscurity. All of that is part of the developmental process that God used to raise David. It's the same process he used in Joseph's life to give him the opportunity to develop these skills that would one day be used for his kingdom. So is that what God is doing in you right now? that you find yourself in a valley right now, and you're saying, God, you're only good if I get out of this valley when God is saying, I am good regardless, because your primary calling does not change, because I've placed you there with purpose, and I am with you. I want you to see this in Genesis 39. Four times God says, it says there like this, that the Lord was with Joseph. Two times it says that the Lord gave Joseph success. Two more times it says the Lord blessed Joseph. And two other times it says that the Lord gave Joseph favor. Do you see what he's trying to teach Joseph? That even when you're at the lows or the highs or the highs or the lows, it does not matter because my presence is with you. It was David himself who said that even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Some of us need to be reminded this morning that in the middle of the stress and the anxiety we face at work, that overwhelming feeling we have, that God is with you in the middle of that. That you don't have to have it all figured out today, but your primary calling reminds you that he is with me in the middle of the valleys that I experience. I remember many years ago, we were taking a flight from Paris, France to Lagos, Nigeria. And I've, I've experienced turbulence before in my life, but nothing like this. The plane was somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean in the middle of the night when suddenly the plane just dropped from the sky for what seemed like about five to 10 seconds, just dropped straight down. There were people flying out of their seats and hitting the ceiling from the pressure that it had built up, and your children are screaming and crying, and so was I, and all of this is happening while we were in this plane. It's utter chaos in the plane. And then there's this clicking noise, and this voice comes over the intercom, uh, ladies and gentlemen, from the flight deck. Uh, we just hit a small patch of air right now, uh, but we'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Like, just telling us that everything is going to be fine. Now, here's the thing. In the cabin, there is utter chaos, but in the cockpit, there is perfect control. He knows we're still going to get to our destination. And you and me, when we go to work, we're going to experience this. But the captain is in control when you go. We've got to recognize that no matter what our crooked line, this jagged line looks like for your career and my career, that the primary calling never changes. The roles may change, but the calling does not. You're, you are there for a purpose, and God is with you in the middle of that valley. I think more and more we need to be reminded, especially some of us sitting here, like Joseph, you've been betrayed. Someone's profited off of you. 
Someone's taken advantage of you. Someone has overworked you, overwhelmed you. Your teammates, your brothers have been against you. All of this has happened in your life. And then you realize, wait a second, God is with me in the process because he often does his best work in the obscurity when no one is watching. I want to ask you this morning, when you go to work this week, is there a place in your day a time, a chance for you to hear God speak in the middle of the day? Do you have a a, a section of your time and day and energy and mind focused on the Lord each day, or have you separated your career and calling so much that the two never touch? I think it's important for us to recognize that when I go to work, I am not fulfilling my primary calling through my job, But God has given me my job as a place for me to fulfill my primary calling. But I have to be listening for him. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you throughout the day? Is he prompting you, hey, why don't you check in on so-and-so? Is he prompting you to maybe work at a higher level because that excellence could drive some sort of blessing to the organization and ultimately bring glory to God? Is he driving you to maybe speak differently to someone that might be difficult to deal with? Is there a space for the Holy Spirit to work in your life during your workday? I don't know about you, have you ever been in a conversation where there are parents of small children in the conversation? And if there are parents of small children in the conversation, watch them for just a minute. Because parents of small children have a superpower that I think no one else has. Here's what they do. If the kid is in the next room, the parent of the small child can pay full attention to the conversation here and listen for anything else going on in the next room. Whether it's something falling, something breaking, a child crying, they can pick it up in a second. Why? Because they're able to focus here and focus there at the same time. This is what God is calling us to do at work. Focus in on your work. Be excellent in your job like Joseph was excellent in his job, but never stop listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit at the same time. This is what we're called to do. It's a constant. We're placed there for a purpose to bring glory to God because the ultimate primary calling is to know God, make him known, live for him, trust him, and he's placed us in peaks and valleys to build that up in each of us. Now, the danger of using Joseph as an example of this is to assume that if I follow God, some stuff will happen, but I'll still be the second most powerful person in the world. (laughs) So that's why it's a little dangerous to use Joseph. But what if we used the man who wrote the verse that we read right at the beginning of today? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, we should find that verse in its proper context. It's written by a man in prison. A man named Paul who follows Jesus, and then his line graph takes off. Do you notice how it looks? He starts out as a Pharisee among Pharisees, one of the most religious zealots of his time, a noble name, someone that people admire and respect. And there's a couple of missionary journeys along the way. It's a couple of nice moments that we see, great messages he delivers. But do you know what else there is? He's kidnapped, beaten, threatened, arrested many times, stoned, 
accused in lawsuits, interrogated, tortured with a rod, tortured with a whip, ridiculed, ignored, shipwrecked, bitten by a viper, house arrest, and eventually executed as a Roman prisoner. That's what Paul's line looks like. And then he writes the rest of that passage. He writes, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, valley, and I know how to abound, peak. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is what you and I are supposed to bring to work every day. That no peak or valley defines me. My identity does not come from my job. What I do does not define me. What I experience at work does not define my God. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because he is enough. My primary calling is enough. And I think over and over again, the mistake I make is I separate God so much from what I do Monday through Friday that I don't see him at work in my work. Now, it's taken me about 20 years to see him more and more in my work. Part of the reason is that I, tomorrow morning, will go and teach in the very same classroom that I was a student in. And it's taken me almost 20, 25 years to fully see the journey that God took me on. And if you're okay with it, I want to share just a small part of that journey in my own life so that you can hear it and hopefully be blessed by it as well. In the late 90s, I was a student, a senior in high school in New Jersey. And I had applied to a bunch of colleges, especially colleges near my home, and thankfully was accepted into a very good school right in New York City so I could live at home and go study there and save a ton of money, and much of my tuition would have been covered. It was awesome. Everything was set. My career was ready to go like that. About six weeks before I was about to start my first class, I get a phone call from the university saying, Mr. Joseph, we regret to inform you that the program you're accepted in has been cut from our school this year due to budget cuts. We can still accept you into another program, but we cannot get you into this program any longer. Now, everything has been shaken. The trajectory I thought was not going to happen anymore because there was no other program I wanted to go to at that school. And so the shakenness starts, that feeling of, uh uh-oh, uncertainty. It's Joseph, right? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so I went back to all the colleges that I had already turned down, which is not fun. And I pleaded for admission. And most of them were very competitive programs, and they said, nope, too late, can't get you in, maybe try for next year. There was one school that I was able to finally convince that I could get my admission back, and that was Boston University here in Massachusetts. And it was the first time that God started to draw me to Boston University. Now, there was one big problem. I could not afford to go to this school. It was way too expensive. And there was no financial aid from this university. So my father and I, we drove up to Boston University, and we went into the very building that I work in right now. And we pleaded with a financial aid counselor to please help us find some financial aid. And the gentleman was polite, but he said, there is no way. We've already exhausted all of our financial resources. It will not happen. And he even used this phrase, unless you believe in miracles, it's not happening. (laughs) I went home at least grateful for the admission, 
I got home and my family, we started to pray about this. Lord, guide my steps. Put me where you need me to be. Now, when you pray those things, you don't always understand what's going to happen next. But you start praying, God, just put me where you need me to be. And in my arrogance as a 17-year-old, I wrote a letter to Boston University. I had to look up the name of anyone who works there, and I found the name of the president of the university in a book. And I wrote a letter to him asking for any financial assistance to come to the university. There is no chance he's getting the letter, let alone responding to the letter. Until 10 days later when a letter came in the mail and it said, Dear Mr. Joseph, thank you for the letter you sent me. I would like to personally pay half your tuition. And it was at that moment you start to realize, wait a second, God is doing something here. There is no way that should have happened. And so you start to assume the ups are just going to keep going up now. But it doesn't. My freshman year, I was scrubbing pots and pans in a food court at the corner mall, if you're familiar with Park Street, downtown Crossing. And my wife will tell you, scrubbing pots and pans is not my calling. I was scrubbing pots and pans, miserable at this job. It was the only money I could find, and so I had to work it and take classes in the evening, and it was miserable. One day, I was throwing out the trash in a back alley at Downtown Crossing when I opened up the dumpster. You can imagine how terrible it smells and how awful the entire environment is. I opened the dumpster door, and I started to throw in the trash, and I looked to my side, and there was a giant Boston rat sitting on the door next to my head. And that was the moment I said, I don't belong here. God, it doesn't matter what miracles you forced to get me here, I don't belong here. This is a valley. That week, I said, I've got to find another job. And so what I decided to do first was go to an InterVarsity prayer fellowship meeting that was happening that Friday. It's a Christian organization on campus. I went to this meeting, had a great time with other believers, and at the end of it, met a young man, a man who is a friend of mine even to this day. And he said, hey, your job sounds awful. Why don't you come talk to my boss? Maybe you can come work in my office. And sure enough, I met his boss, who got me a job in their office. That job allowed me to meet a lot of other people across the college and across the campus. And then my journey just continued. I graduated, went back down to New York four times, came back to Boston. Is God doing something in my life to keep bringing me back to Boston? <laughs> and sure enough, eventually, found myself in an opportunity where the person who had hired me for that job said, hey, would you ever consider teaching at this university? Now, I was in the middle of my career, loved what I was doing, but there was this opportunity to come and teach, and I said, wait, let me give it a try at least. And I went to start teaching at the very university that I'd gotten that acceptance into many years earlier. Now, sure enough, that's a good thing, right? That's God helping me and putting me back on a trajectory up, right? And as I'm going day by day, there are so many valleys that I don't have time to tell you about. But one of the peaks was when the leaders of the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at BU said, hey, we can't find another Christian professor on campus. Would you be our faculty mentor? I said, sure, I'll do that. And it was a couple of people here that came to Mount Hope, some of our global outreach partners who said, hey, would you be the faculty mentor for our Christian organization? And sure enough, I started to do that more and more. 
One day, that same organization that I walked into after I hated my job called me to come speak at one of their conferences. And I just went, spoke at the conference, shared the gospel at the conference, and after the conference was done, a young lady comes up to me and says, uh, has a bunch of questions. It was her first time hearing about the Christian faith, and she had so many questions. After answering questions for about an hour, we continued on email where she would keep asking me more questions about suffering and about where is God in all of this, and we would go back and forth answering these questions. And then I lost touch with her, never heard from her again, until I received an email from her very recently, and I'd like to read that email for you today. Dear Professor Joseph, hopefully you had a wonderful winter break. It's really been a long time since we first met at the Radiant Conference. During the last year, a lot has happened in my life, but I'm so excited to share a big change in my life. I have given my heart to Jesus and decided to become a Christian. When I think about how I became a Christian, the coincidence that I met you at Radiant and the conversations we had often occur to me. Thank you for sharing your own love for Jesus with a stranger that day. Sincerely, Shannon. I want to ask you a question. Did God provide the miracle of financing my education so that I could go to college? Yeah, maybe. Did God provide that miracle 25 years earlier so that this girl could come to Christ? Absolutely. Church, I want you to understand that so often we go to work. I do this all the time. I go to work believing that I am at work for me. My identity comes from my work. My elevation comes from me at work. All of it is about me and me and my family and money and prestige and titles, and it's all about me. But when God called Joseph and placed a primary calling on his life, it wasn't just about Joseph. It was about the millions who would be blessed because of Joseph. It's part of how we are called. We're not just called to go to work and do work and separate our career and our calling. We are called to go to work and recognize the primary calling every day. It's taken me so long to see it. But this week, is there a place where you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, you're not here by accident. I didn't just put you here. It's not just a coincidence that you're here. Yes, you might be going through a low, but it's not by accident. I have placed you here. And we need to start to see it and recognize it. Because listen, church, if you don't find God in your calling, you will lose yourself in your job. If God is not preeminent in your calling... It's going to just be 40, 30, 40, 50 years of working and getting lost in the work without ever seeing God at work in what you're doing. I want to invite our worship team to come back up as we prepare to close. If you look at the end of Joseph's life, there is this very famous verse that Joseph gives to his brothers. It's this culmination of his life where even what the enemy meant for evil you turned it for good, right? The verse says like this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Listen to this, the saving of many lives. The ups and downs, the peaks and valleys of Joseph's career was part of something bigger that God was doing. And sometimes we separate our career and calling so much that we don't recognize that God may not be calling you to save many lives, but he's calling you to impact the place you work, to be an influence on someone's life. 
And if you go in with that mindset, you can hear the Holy Spirit working as you are at work day after day. I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning. If you're like me, this week is going to be a busy one. It's going to be stressful. It's going to be overwhelming at times. But some of us need to be reminded that God is with you in the middle of the valley. That whatever you're experiencing at work, at home, as a mother, as a father, as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a brother, a sister, a neighbor, whatever you're experiencing in whatever role you're in, the primary calling does not change in your life. I think no one embodies this more than our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christ, he comes to this earth and he works for years and then he goes to work preaching and teaching and healing the sick and driving out demons and cleansing the leper. He goes to work, but he never loses sight of the mission, the primary calling to one day go to the cross and be tortured and destroyed for us to take our place. Jesus uses these words. He says, it is finished. That means that my identity being in my work is finished. I don't have to find my identity there because of my primary calling through what he finished. The debt is paid in full. I don't have to strive to prove myself over and over again because of what he did. And this morning, some of us need to be reminded that God is at work in your life. He is developing you. He is building something in you, making you into the person he has called you to be. And this morning, some of us need to be reminded of that. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we recognize that so often work becomes so important that we miss what you're doing there. That you do call us to excellence. You do call us to lead others closer to you. But God, may, may we never, ever forget the primary calling on our life to know you and to love you and to serve you. God, we thank you for what we learned through Joseph's life, that ups and downs are part of the journey with you. But thank you for reminding us this morning that through it all, you never leave us. We thank you that you are with us. God, I lift up every one of us who are gathered here today knowing that work can be overwhelming and stressful, that the roles keep changing, and the feeling that I get from work keeps changing. Remind us today, God, that this is not the barometer we use to test you. You are good regardless. And we thank you for that, Lord. God, continue to work through us as we work this week. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's rise to our feet and let's worship the Lord together in song.